politics, culture, chaos. It's time to make sense of it all. It's time to have a little fun. This is your afternoon dose of sanity. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. The question, of course, is who gave the order? Who gave the order to shut down Bagram Air Base? This time tomorrow, when I come on for the podcast, we will be out of Afghanistan. Can you believe it? I can't, considering we still have hundreds of people in Afghanistan as a race to evacuate mounts. But the question is, who gave the order? Good afternoon and welcome to the podcast. Great to be with you. I didn't ask who gave the order. (coughs) I said to myself, this is the business we have chosen. Hyman Roth? No, nothing. Uh, I'm talking about the fact that uh, Jake Sullivan, over the weekend, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, blamed the generals for shutting down Bagram Air Force Base. Does anybody really believe that the military would give up one of the most secure military positions? This, this, this wonderful air base, high up with an elevated position, miles away from where any of the madmen could get to them, which for 20 years there was, we had complete control over. No attacks. We owned it. To move to the, to the Kabul Municipal Airport in the center of Kabul, while the Taliban was, we knew, you know, making their way to Kabul. Does anybody believe that? Anybody believe the military would be that stupid? To go, you know what, listen, it's been a good run, 20 years, with, with, with us being absolutely in charge here, being able to see everything for miles and no one being able to come near us. But what we'd like to do to have, make it a little more fun, more like a video game, we'd like to move to the center of chaos and move there. To, with one one ray and one one runway and, and because let's do it. It'll be fun. It'll be a challenge for us. I don't know, maybe there's a good Cinnabon at the Kabul airport, Harmad Kazai International Airport. Good Cinnabon gift shop. Let's go down there instead. It'll be a hoot. Does anybody believe that? No. It was the lazy SOBs at the State Department who wanted to move to that airport. Why? Because they didn't want to have to pack up their stuff and move up to Bagram. That's why. That's why. But doesn't stop the White House from blaming the military for all of the White House's and the State Department's bad, bad, bad decisions. Take a listen. The U.S. forces continue to be attacked in, at the Kabul airport. Overnight, five rockets intercepted just one day before President Biden's August 31st deadline. But already the blame game over who lost Afghanistan has begun. Here's Sheikh Sullivan blaming the generals for the decision to close Bagram Air Base. On the tactical decision of which is the right airport to have for an evacuation, of course, any responsible president would give significant weight to the advice of the commanders on the ground, and their advice was to close Bagram and focus on Kabul. The military wanted to close Bagram. The orders from President Biden were to go to zero and leave only a small embassy presence behind. More on that later in the Wait, you know what I got to do? This is what I love about this podcast. Hang on a second here. I get to do fun stuff like this here. I don't think it's fair. I'll tell you what's fair and what's not. I mean, I could quote Animal House all day. Anyway, uh, so Jen Psaki at the White House press briefing today was asked the question. The question being, of course, of, uh, oh, no, she, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are we safer today than you were uh, before you let the Taliban uh, take over and come back to power and, you know, essentially start killing our people and uh, screaming death to America and all that? 
that remains the case. But I will say, if you just take a step back beyond yesterday, the president uh, stands by his decision to bring our men and women home from Afghanistan, because if he had not, his view and the view of many experts and military out there is we would have sent tens of thousands, potentially, or thousands at least, more troops uh, back into harm's way, risking more lives and more people uh, to fight a war the Afghans were not willing to fight themselves. Nothing has changed in that regard. No, you leave out yesterday and the fact that we brought home 13 dead service members. If you just leave that out, little asterisk there, then no, he stands by his position. And of course, that's because if we didn't uh, leave in this completely botched Keystone Cop manner, we'd be there till the end of time, until Thanos came back and snapped his fingers. See, this is the dumb White House false choice that they keep making. It's either, Jen, 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 does the president regret what a chaotic... Uh, way that we withdrew, you know, as if like children plan this in a kindergarten class, you know, Jen, as if like for back to school, kindergarten class assignment, kids made up the Afghanistan withdrawal plans and it resulted in absolute chaos and fiasco. Is the president regretted it all? And then Jen Saki comes down and goes, um, no, because otherwise we'd be there for like ever, forever and ever and ever. It's the way it's the false choice. Um, Jen, Jen, do, 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 do you regret that the movers uh, dropped the baby grand piano out of the 10th floor window and it fell down to the street and smashed it? Like, you think there might have been a better way to move the grand piano? Uh, no, because if we didn't move it that way, it would have stayed on the 10th floor and then the building caught on fire and the grand piano would have burned to the ground. So uh, I think we're much better off if the piano didn't burn up in flames and is now on the street. In a million pieces that you could theoretically tape back together. See, it's, it's constantly with them these idiotic false choices that, that just completely just baffle me. Always with the dumb equivalencies with them. Jen, Jen, do you think it was a bad thing to maybe withdraw in this matter now that the Taliban's completely in charge? <laughs> no, because if we did not do it this way, then we would be there until the year 4,965. Really? Oh, yes. I went back to the future and I saw it for myself. So this was the only way. And if you go back to the future and try to affect the timeline in any way, like if a competent president, for example, had tried to just maybe do an orderly withdrawal of Afghanistan, then the whole time flux capacitor would have and the 1.21 gigawatts and then the Taliban would have. And then so, yeah. okay then. How about the whole idea of them getting all of our military equipment? What about that? Now, they, we know today that they, and I went through some of the numbers with you, they got like 200,000 planes, they hundreds of, of tanks and, and cars and guns and all this other stuff that they got from us, all this military equipment. And the question becomes now, is, it, is, it, is, it, is that a bad thing? Is that a bad thing that they got all our equipment? Huh? Are Americans less safe now because the Taliban now has access to billions of dollars worth of American-made weaponry? Well, let me unpack your question a little bit, because uh, the U.S. military, part of their retrograde effort is to uh, 
reduce the amount of military equipment or apparatus that uh, anyone on the ground has access to. I'm not going to get into the details of how they do that, but that is part of their effort. I will also uh, reiterate something that, that our national security advisor said just last week. We had to make an assessment several weeks ago about whether we provide materials to the Afghan national security forces so that they could fight the fight. Obviously, they decided not to fight uh, or not, and we made the decision to provide them with that equipment and the material. The third piece I would note that's very important here is that we have not assessed that any group on the ground, uh, whether it's ISIS-K or the Taliban, has the ability to attack the United States. Whoa. We clearly need to – sorry, that was an aggressive bug. Um, we need to uh, ensure that remains the case, but that is not a capability that we have assessed to be uh, the case at this point in time. There is a difference between the threat that is posed to U.S. men and women serving or people who are gathering outside of the gates in Kabul and whether these individuals can attack the United States. And it, with all their, you know, stuff that they got that we left behind, just a couple things like, oh, I don't know, 22,174 Humvees, 8,000 trucks, 162,000 radios, 358,000 assault rifles. You know, the left loves to call them assault rifles. So for the purposes of this, and since it's actually a war, I happily will too. <laughs> 65,000 machine guns, 42,000 pickup trucks and SUVs. Think of the carbon footprint. Jen, think of the carbon footprint. 169 armored personnel carriers, 155 mine-proof vehicles, 16,000 pairs of night vision goggles. You know what that stuff can go for on eBay? But it's not like they have 33 helicopters, 33 Black Hawk helicopters, 43 other kinds of helicopters, four C-130s, 23 super tactical fighters, 28 other kinds of fighters, 10 other kinds of fighters. I mean, it's not like they have all of that stuff totaling about, oh, 300,000 different kinds of things worth billions of dollars. Right, Jen? Right? No big whoop. I guess the simple questions acknowledging that you're going to try to limit what access they do have to some of the weaponry in ways that you can't communicate here. But at the end of the day, whether it's not the United States that's under risk as a function of this, are Americans around the globe? I mean, are Western interests now more at risk because the Taliban has new access to all this weaponry? Well, again, Peter, I would say that uh, we, uh, the world will be watching. We have an enormous amount of leverage, including access to the global marketplace, which is not a small piece of leverage to the Taliban, who are now overseeing large swaths of Afghanistan. Uh, certainly, our objective was not to leave them with any equipment, but that is not uh, always an option when you are looking to retrograde and move out of a war zone. Uh, but that is our clear leverage we have with the Taliban. And again, our capacities uh, are over-the-horizon capacities, which, by the way, killed two ISIS terrorists just last week and continue to be utilized by our men and women on the ground, uh, remain in place and remain in place in the region. You know, just a couple things we left behind, Peter. Just a couple things like 110 helicopters. What are you going to do? It's not like anybody can use those things or fast attack combat vehicles or um, Humvees or, you know, not like they could sell them. We have access to the global marketplace. They don't. God knows you can't sell anything in like, I don't know, Bitcoin these days. I think it, what it is is, honestly, they live in an alternate reality. Really, they do. They live in an alternate reality. Jen Psaki is very good about just completely BSing us, all of us, and making things sound like it's totally fine. Like it's absolutely fine. Did the U.S. accomplish its objective? Hmm. 
Did we accomplish our objective? The president said he believed recently you followed and said the same, that he believed that they were on pace. This was before the attack on pace to uh, for the achievement of our objective. So as we approach that deadline, whether tonight or tomorrow night, whatever it is, did the U.S. accomplish its objective, knowing that there will be likely thousands of SIV applicants and others still there and certainly some Americans as well? Did we achieve our objective? I think first uh, we have we, we have to date evacuated more than 120,000 people. That's 120,000 lives that we have saved, including 6,000 Americans and their families, many of them dual nationals. Uh, and we are continuing. Our commitment is enduring uh, to Afghan partners, to American citizens who may not have decided to leave. Uh, that is their right to determine when they want to leave. That commitment is enduring. But uh, we have saved more than 120,000 lives, and I would let you evaluate your uh, for that for yourself. And remember something, we're going to be going back in to save so many more people eventually that the number is just going to keep going up. So don't worry about it. These people are absolutely in denial. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt in my mind. Now, I don't know if this video, which appears to show a Taliban member hanging from a U.S. supplied helicopter over Kandahar. uh, I I, I don't know. I don't know. this This is apparently what the story is right now i don't know if it's been confirmed or not at the time of this podcast but according to the independent video appears to show taliban member hanging from a u.s supplied helicopter over kandahar and uh this shows a man dangling from what is believed to be a uh-60 blackhawk chopper Our Air Force, at this time, the Islamic Emirates Air Force helicopters are flying over Kandahar City and patrolling the city, the caption read. The video, which has not been verified, was shared just one day before the final U.S. troops were expected to leave Afghanistan. So, what does that mean exactly? It means that this is how the Taliban rolls with absolute brutality, viciousness, and you're going to see a lot more of this. Apparently, now there's stories that... um, our translators are having their tongues ripped out by the uh, awful savages in the Taliban as well. So, does anybody is is anybody surprised by this? Clarissa Ward from CNN, who's done some of the most courageous journalism in all of this. Taliban sources tell CNN they've, they're concerned that ISIS-K fighters have been melted with the Taliban in Kabul, and it's very challenging to distinguish them from legitimate Taliban fighters. This makes securing the capital a challenge. Gee, you think? And that's so weird, right? Because I thought the Taliban and ISIS-K were sworn enemies. So you would think the Taliban-K people and the ISIS people, like the Bloods and the Crips, would know each other, you know? I mean, why would they not know each other and know their gang signs, their call signs? But that's because the truth of the matter is, you know as well as I do, that the only reason why ISIS-K is able to accomplish anything is with the Taliban's help. That's it. The Taliban has given safe passage to ISIS-K and will continue to do so because they're frenemies. And as long as the, the Taliban continues... To give ISIS-K safe passage, we're going to see more terrorist attacks because the Taliban and ISIS-K are one and the same. They're one and the same. This is not a situation like when you're a jet or a shark here. This is is a situation when you're the Taliban or you're ISIS-K. That's what this is. That's what this is. And I'm just really tired of people acting like what's happening here is something out of West Side Story. 
when you're a jet, you're a jet All the way from your first cigarette to your last dying day When you're a jet, let them do what they can You've got brothers around, you're a family man You're never alone, you're never disconnected You're home with your own Companies expected, your wealth protected. Then you are set with a capital J, which you'll never forget till they cart you away when you're a jet. You stay a jet. Now I know Tony like I know me, and I guarantee you can count him in. In out, let's get cracking. Where are you gonna find Bernardo? It ain't safe to go into PR territory. We're at the dance tonight at the gym. Yeah, but the gym's neutral territory. Hey, Rab, I'm gonna make nice with him. I'm only gonna challenge him. Great, Daddy O. So listen. Everybody dress up sweet and sharp. This is exact audio from ISIS K and the Taliban coordinating. When you're a jet, you're the top cat in town. You're the gold medal kid with the heavyweight crown. When you're a jet, you're the swinging a thing. Little boy, you're a man. Little man, you're a kid. Don't you miss when gangs would sing and dance, right? I think of the White House's mind. This is what it's like for the Taliban and ISIS-K. I really do. They're so detached from reality in Washington. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's ridiculous, but that's because it's absurd that everything that's happening in Washington right now. I mean, really, I, if I, if I, I don't know how else to deal with this insanity. Do you? We're leaving Afghanistan in 24 hours. No, 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 less than 24 hours. We're going to be out of Afghanistan. And we still don't know whether or not uh, this was a good idea. No, I mean, I know it was a terrible idea. You know it was a terrible idea. But Jen Psaki still refuses to say. Smart, funny podcast. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. Well, if you say so. Uh, By the way, can I just break for a second from Afghanistan for a moment? Although I need to let you know live right now, the Pentagon is announcing the end to America's longest war. General Kenneth McKenzie Jr. of CENTCOM, the one who's been telling us all along that the Taliban is going to be protecting us. Uh, this guy is announcing us now the, the, the official end to America's uh, longest war. I'm going to get you some audio of that in a moment, which is why this podcast will be out a little bit late today. But um, I think this might be a daily segment on the podcast, which is uh, NPR is beyond parody, courtesy of Johnny Cook. Johnny, who also does the music for this show, he, he created the, uh, this is Johnny's stuff here. Very talented guy. Big libertarian. Anyway, Johnny always sends me this stuff from NPR. I can't turn this over. Uh, this stuff from NPR, which is pretty amazing. So uh, this story from NPR, would you like to hear this now? It's entitled, This Mini Golf Course Reminds You About the Horrors of Climate Change. So when you think about how absurd life is, it's even more absurd than that. Because your tax dollars go to pay for botched withdrawals of Afghanistan and national public radio. Support for NPR and the comes following from the following You know what? I don't want to give this guy any credit, so I'm just going to pop this down for a second. Support for NPR Okay, here we go. 
Hmm. Mini golf is usually whimsical. Think pirates, waterfalls, <laughs> jungle animals. But at a course on the Brooklyn waterfront, there are flatulent cows and melting glaciers. Mm, NPR's Rosemary Misdairy reports each of the 18 holes at Putting Green is dedicated to a different climate change emergency confronting New Yorkers. And by the way, does that surprise you in any way, shape, or form that in Brooklyn, one of the most pretentious, wokest places on earth, they would have a mini golf course that would remind you of the horrors of climate change? Hey, kids, look, it's a polar bear with no home floating on a patch of ice in the middle of the ocean, like in that dumb cartoon in the Al Gore movie. Why have fun playing miniature golf? Why have a pirate or a giant octopus or a windmill when you could have a windmill crashing to the ground and killing a family because it was knocked over in a climate change storm? It's a hot day in Domino Park on the East River. The natural gas-fired power plant reserved for peak usage is buzzing loudly, casting its shadow on golfers putting through climate change hazards to reach each hole. Joshua Goodman works for the city's Department of Sanitation, and he's trying to hit the ball across a map of Manhattan that is partly underwater, according to sea level projections for the year 2100. When you're trying to navigate those water traps and thinking about rising sea levels, I mean, I live in lower Manhattan, you know, I pass. That's what I think about when I'm playing mini golf. How about you? Sandy every single day. And uh, when we were going through those water traps, I was thinking, gosh, you know, if we're not careful, if we don't put in the work, if we don't hold corporate America to account, this is our future. It's one of the toughest holes. Most balls end up in the water. The area where I live on the east side of Chinatown uh, would have been underwater on hole number three. One of the courses designed... By the way, when the balls wind up in the water, who's responsible for getting them out of the blowhole? Seinfeld? No? Uh, never mind. One of the course's designers, Juan Lee Querion, says it's one way of getting the message out on climate change. Oh, it's People one way. are so tired of the gloom and doom that surrounds climate change. They don't want to listen to all this like, catastrophic news. Giving people the information in a playful way, it helps a lot. It obviously shocks people, but that's the whole point. But it's not all forest fires and fossil fuels. It's amazing what just small it's not all make. It's not all fossil fuels and death and destruction on the golf course and farting cows. There's also a gift shop with things like climate change ate my ball, you know, instead of the 18th hole. I mean, look, why have fun playing miniature golf when you can just take a golf club and beat it over your head and just make it oh much more fun like that than doing this? Hole 13, Vrindavan Raul tapped the ball around a giant banana peel and an apple core to find a new way to make a difference. Composting. We're composting on the miniature golf course. We live in, uh, in an apartment building, and unfortunately the apartment building doesn't compost. Which Why don't you just compost your cells by burying yourselves on the sixth hole? Basis, but I think it just takes a little bit more intentionality and time. But even for middle school teacher Ben Wareham, who tries to live Oh my God, worst middle school. Making a difference can Could be you imagine the worst middle school trip of your life? Hey, everybody, we're going to go have a fun day of miniature golf. Yay! And lecture you on climate change. And then we're going to stop by on the way home to the Critical Race Theory Water Park. Uh, it's a lot to consider because it's one thing to read it and go like, man... And it's just tough to consider what it means on a larger scale. And 
what can be done. He brought his junior high students to celebrate the end of summer school. They're noticing the obstacles. They're, they're you know, going like, hey, why is there a polar bear here? Why, you know, what, what are these cows? Right. Why is there a giant banana peel? Yeah, why is there a polar bear in the middle of a freaking Brooklyn miniature golf course? Them, especially as Native New Yorkers. The park was designed... Native New Yorkers? I don't think you're Natives, actually. I think that'd be the Native Americans who you people killed. Maybe you should do another golf course with all the horrors of the white people, of the white man. Maybe on each hole, a different group that you've killed and tortured and brought famine and destruction to. I'm just saying. Is after Hurricane Sandy. Addressing climate change is a priority for the park's community partners, like Robert Buchanan from the Billion Oyster Project. I remember Sandy and I remember, you know, people not having cell phone service and subway tunnels and the tunnels flooded. That's an absolute reminder when you stand on that hole and you play from south to north that you're you're putting through what was underwater. That's something this course's creators oh, that is don't something. want visitors to forget as they enjoy the Manhattan views. As we shove them into the water. You know, this is why the Taliban laughs at us in all seriousness now, because the poor people of Afghanistan think you people have it so good. You've made a golf course about climate change. Is it not lost on you that there was a carbon footprint to build it, you idiots? on what was once a polluted factory wasteland that will be underwater in less than 80 years if New Yorkers drop the ball on climate change. Get it? Rosemary Misdairy, NPR News. Get it? But not if we don't drop the ball on our puns, but um bump ching 80 years, I'll take my chances. Also, you people are on an abandoned landfill or polluted landfill. Are you not worried about cancer? I'm just saying you're playing ball on this thing. Maybe there's fumes coming out. I don't, I'm just, again, just, throw, you know, throwing it out there. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Who knows, right? Corn Pop was a bad dude. Not you. Let's cut through the BS. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. Uh, right now, the Pentagon is doing their briefing right now. Should we take a little bit of this live for you so you can know what's happening? This is why, again, the podcast is going to be late. Last plan carrying out U.S. troops leaves Afghanistan after 20 years, says U.S. officials. This is happening right now. It's very sad. I'm trying to hopefully lighten things up a little bit for you because I'm very frustrated by all this, as I'm sure you are right now. Let's try to hear a little bit about what uh, they're saying here. Let's see. From a security perspective, to allow the U.S. to safely depart Kabul. Yeah, so I'm not going to be able to answer the first two questions because oh, those operations are still concluding as to where the de- those aircraft are going and the, and the exact disposition of our forces on the aircraft. I can tell you this, though, about what the Taliban has done. They established a firm perimeter outside of the airfield to prevent people from coming on the airfield during our departure. And we've, we've worked that with them for a number of days. They did not have direct knowledge of our time of departure. We choose to keep that. We chose to keep that uh, very information very restricted. But they were uh, actually very helpful and useful to us as we closed down operations. Wait a second. Go to the so our besties, the Taliban, you didn't tell them everything? You didn't tell them the whole truth about everything? You lied to the Taliban? The people that were protecting us? Why did you have to deceive them? If our, our good buddies, the Taliban... Huh? They're our partners, our protectors. It looked like in terms of number of flights, number of people you had on the ground to start with, um, who might have been on that last plane, particularly senior leaders, and uh, kind of just how it's all played out. Thanks. Sure. So let me actually begin with the back end of your question. On the last airplane out was uh, General Chris Donahue, the commander of the 82nd Airborne Division, and my ground force commander there. And he was accompanied by our, our Charge A, Ambassador Russ Wilson, 
So they came out together. So the state uh, defense team came out on the last aircraft and were, in fact, the last people to stand on the ground, step on the airplane. So what has happened over the last 12 or 18 hours is, we, we first of all, we were intent on maintaining the ability to bring out uh, Americans and other, uh, and other Afghans as long as we could. So we kept that capability until just a few hours ago. And we were able to bring out some people earlier in the day, although, as I've noted earlier, we had to cut it off. Let, let me just say to you right now, once again, they're lying. So the United States has fully pulled out of Afghanistan. We, we still have people, and this is shameful. This is so shameful right now. We still have people left. We left them. We just abandoned them. We just abandoned people in Afghanistan. This is happening live right now. Listen to this. I'm here to announce the completion of our withdrawal from Afghanistan in the end of the military mission to evacuate American citizens, third country nationals, and vulnerable Afghans. The last C-17 lifted off from Hamad Karzai International Airport on August 30th this afternoon at 3.29 p.m. East Coast time. And the last manned aircraft is now clearing the airspace above Afghanistan. We will soon release a photo of the last C-17 departing Afghanistan with Major General Chris Donahue and the U.S. Ambassador to Afghanistan, Ross Wilson, aboard. While the military evacuation is complete, the diplomatic mission to ensure additional U.S. citizens and eligible Afghans who want to leave continues. And I know that you have heard, and I know that you're going to hear more about that from the State Department shortly. So that's it. We left people behind. We're done. We're out. And we're, we, we just left and we've left people behind. This is shameful. This is shameful that we've done this. And of course, this goes all in with Biden's years of lying to all of us. Months of lying, years of lying right now, saying that, that we would not leave until we got everybody out. Remember that? On August 19th, Biden said that we would not leave. If there are any American citizens left, we're going to stay until we get them all out. That was a lie. He lied. That was not true because we still have people out there right now. We still have people in Afghanistan. And we're out. We're, we've just left. Sometime before this operation began. But we were intent on maintaining that capability. We were also intent on maintaining our force protection because of the, the threats from ISIS were very real, uh, very, uh, very concerning. And so we did a number of things. We had overwhelming U.S. air power overhead should there have been any uh, challenge to our departure. And again, th- there was absolutely no question we were not going to be challenged by the Taliban. We were, if we we're going to be challenged, it was going to be by ISIS. And I think some of the things we've done uh, yesterday, particularly the strike, and other things we've done have disrupted their ability to conduct that, uh, to conduct that attack planning. But they, may, they remain a very lethal force, and I think we would assess that probably there are at least 2,000 hardcore ISIS fighters in Afghanistan now. And, of course, many of those come from the prisons that were, that were opened a few, a few days ago. By the Taliban. So that number is up and is probably as high as it's ever been in quite a while. And that's going to be a challenge for the Taliban, I believe, in the days ahead. They let him out. Why would it be a challenge for them? Thank you, General. Uh, two quick questions. There were about 500 Afghan soldiers who were uh, protecting the perimeter. Did you evacuate them and their families? And secondly, um, just on the airport, uh, now that you've departed, do you believe it can uh, take on civilian aircraft pretty soon, or will it require some type of repair or expertise? Sure. So the best of my knowledge, which is actually pretty good, I believe we brought out all the Afghan uh, military forces who were partnered with us to defend the airfield and their family members. I believe that 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 has been accomplished. Uh, We need the airport to be operational and we need the airport to be operational quickly for civilian 
you know, for civilian traffic. So we're going to do everything we can to, uh, uh, to help with that. Let me give you an example. One of the things we did not demilitarize as we left were those pieces of equipment that are necessary for airport operations, such as a fire truck, some of the front end loaders, things like that. We left that, we left that equipment. So that is available uh, to allow that airport to get back and get operating as soon as possible, and, and, and it needs to get operating as soon as possible. Louis, uh, General, today is August 30th, and the deadline had repeatedly been set that it was going to be August 31st. Um, do you think that there may be some people who had some false hope that they had at least one more day before this happened? And can you explain the tactical decision as to why you uh, completed this mission on the 30th as opposed to the 31st? Sure. So it's actually the 31st in Afghanistan. As we take a look, what day of the week, what day of the month it is? It's the 30th here, 31st in Afghanistan. So we actually went out on the 31st, not the 30th. If you look at Afghan time, look, there's a lot of heartbreak associated with this departure. We did not get everybody out that we wanted to get out. But I think if we'd stayed another 10 days, Louis, we wouldn't have gotten everybody out that we wanted to get out. Oh, and there still shameful. would have been people who would have been disappointed. This is shameful. That. We're acknowledging so it's, it's, we're just abandoning situation. people. But I want to emphasize again that simply because we have left, that doesn't mean the opportunities for both Americans that are in Afghanistan that want to leave and, uh, and Afghans who want to leave, they will not be denied that opportunity. I think our Department of State is going to work that very hard in the days and weeks ahead. Courtney. Uh, just one clarification, General McKenzie. It's Courtney QB from NBC News. Are, are, so were there any evacuees left at the airport when the last U.S. military flight left? There were no evacuees left at the airport when the U.S. last flight left, Courtney. Thank you. And then just uh, on the Taliban, you know, you, you've, you've talked about their pragmatic ways of operating with the U.S. military here. Do you see a role for a, the U.S. military to have open conversations with the Taliban, even potential coordination going forward, in particular um, with this growing and now accentuated um, threat from ISIS? Well, I'll tell you, my, my dealing with the Taliban and uh, my, the dealings of my commanders on the ground with the Taliban revolved around our determination to execute this operation and the very flat statement we made to them that if we, you know, if you challenge us, we're going to hurt you. And I think they recognize that. No, and for their didn't. own purposes, this is something they wanted to have happen too. I, would, I, I can't foresee the way future coordination be, between us would go. Uh, I, I would leave that for, for some future date. I will simply say that they wanted us out. We wanted to get out with our people and with our and with our friends and partners, and so for that short period of time, our issues, our our, our view of the world was congruent. It was the same. Finally, I do believe the Taliban is going to have their hands full with ISIS K, and they let a lot of those people out of prisons, and now they're going to be able to reap what they sowed. Tara, thank you, Joe Tara Cop with Defense One. Um, can you assure the American public that every single U.S. service member is now out of Afghanistan? Every single U.S. service member is now out of Afghanistan. I can say that with 100% certainty. Carla. Um, sir, really quickly, just to clarify, um, you mentioned 123,000 out of Afghanistan. Earlier this morning, we heard 122. So can we assume that that was 1,000 Afghans that came out in these, some of these final flights? And then have a quick follow-up. We brought about 1,000 Afghans, I think over 1,500 out in the last 24 hours or so. Uh, the exact number, I'm sure, is probably that, that computation is probably going to change a little bit in the days ahead. I don't think it's going to change much. But, yes, we brought a number of Afghans out here at the very end. And then, sir, how would you characterize this evacuation mission? Because on the one hand, 123,000 people got out. 
On the other hand, of course, you, ha you lost 13 Marines. Uh, more than 100 Afghans died, and there are still potentially tens of thousands, SIVs, P1s, P2s, and others that wanted to get out that did not get out, as you said. So how would you characterize this mission? Well, first of all, the, the 11 Marines, the soldier and the sailor that we lost, I will never forget that. That, that'll, that will be with me, and I know every other commander involved uh, for the rest of our lives. We've all, lost, we've all lost people before, and it's never an easy thing. Um, you, you would like to bring out everybody that wanted to come out, we're not able to do that. Situation wouldn't allow it. Oh, I pathetic. think we did a very good pathetic. job of getting everybody that we could get uh, that we could get out, given the unique cha the challenges of the tactical situation on the ground. There are two hundred fifty Americans really left not, behind. Not all Americans wanted to leave. We just there left two hundred fifty Americans behind. Want to stay for a while? I think we'll go back and they'll no, have but the who opportunity wants to stay. To, uh, what are they at the, the beach? We visit that and come out. Are they at they the want. buffet, the casino? Why would they to want to stay, General? We shouldn't look on this as the end of that engagement about people in Afghanistan. I am confident that that engagement is going to continue through a variety of venues, and it won't just be the United States that's going to be engaged on this. I think our international partners are also going to be wow, engaged Wow, I started this, on this podcast well saying forward. that by this time tomorrow we'll be out of uh, Afghanistan, and before I ended it. Um, thanks. Thanks, General McKenzie. I'm, I'm kind of curious just how American citizens are going to be expected to get to the airport and what the continuing exactly. terror threat yeah, the, the uh, will give them be cab rides, just in the Uber coming rides. days and, and what the evacuation picture is going to look like for them. Well, I think that the, the, the terror threat is going to be very high, and uh, I, I don't want to minimize that. But I think what we'll do is we will work with the Taliban and work with the next government of Afghanistan, Afghanistan, whatever his characterization is wow. going to be, in order to ensure that our citizens are protected and that they have this an opportunity to, uh, to leave. This is As an you know, absolute disgrace. A of significant what a disgrace. Whatever future government exists in Kabul. And I, and I have no doubt that the Department of State will fully exercise that leverage. Okay. Do you have any confidence in their ability to secure the city right now, the Taliban? I think they're going to be challenged to secure the city. I do know this, just speaking purely Practically, as a professional, they helped us secure the airfield. Not perfectly, but they, they gave it a very good effort, and it was actually significantly uh, significantly helpful to us, particularly here at the end. Last question for today, Megan. Uh, are there any U.S. Sorry, this is Megan Myers at Military Times. Are there any U.S. aircraft still doing um, overflights of Afghanistan, uh, either Kabul or otherwise, looking out for potential threats? So as we have said uh, for quite a while, we always reserve the opportunity to uh, go after in the CT oh, realm, this is a disgrace. Al-Qaeda and ISIS, when those targets prevent, uh, present themselves. So we will always retain the ability to do that. Okay, that's about all the time we have. General, uh, oh, that's all the time we have, you add. jerk. Listen. Uh, John, it's been, a, uh, it's been a long day. And, oh, has uh, it? Much Not as long as the people you left behind in Afghanistan. Uh, the operation has gone smoothly so far. And I uh, just look forward to look forward to re recovering the force completely, getting everybody home. Thank you, General. Thanks for your time. Thank you all. Have a nice afternoon. Nicer than the 250 people we just left behind in it Afghanistan. Is this is a disgrace. Let me let me just say, I, 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 I mean, I guess this is the nature of doing a podcast. I started this podcast out saying that tomorrow we'd be out of Afghanistan. Now we're out of Afghanistan. And I, what do I do? Do I, do I not even publish this? I was joking around with you just a few minutes ago about, and now I'm just absolutely, I can't, I, I, we just left 250 people behind. We just abandoned Afghanistan with 250 people on the ground and we left the day before our deadline. 
We just we just cowered and ran. We just cowered and ran. That's what we did. I, I I don't even understand how anybody could think this is okay. This kind of of reckless cowardness. The Pentagon says the threat stream is still real and still active. They say the State Department is in touch with the Americans who are still trying to get out. CNN's Alex Marquardt joins us now live from the State Department. And Alex, what do we know about the Americans who may not make it out before the deadline? Yeah, that's right, Jake. The State Department is saying that they have been in touch with those Americans, whether it's by email, by phone, by text. Uh, they say that that's there are fewer than 250 Americans who remain who have expressed some sort of desire to get out. But Jake, that's the same figure that we heard yesterday. So very few have gotten out in the past 24 hours. Uh, now, on top these of people that, have giant are... targets on their heads. First of all, you know, as well as I do, that those 250 people are not in touch with the State Department. The State Department's lying, just like they were lying last week when Ryan Mannion was on the show on Friday. And she said, Rich, I have had to reach out working with a Marine on the ground over there, reach out to these families over there and, and help them get around Taliban check plan, checkpoints because the Taliban was turning them away. These 250 people are not in touch with the State Department. And these 250 people don't want to stay. These are 250 targets we've just left behind. We just left behind 250 targets. 250 prizes for the Taliban. 250 ransoms for the Taliban. 250 uh, bargaining chips for the, for, the, for the Taliban. This is pathetic. This, this is, this is a, one of the, the saddest days right now. And I can't believe how... I, I, I'm, 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 I'm standing here recording this with you at 5 p.m. thinking that I, I would almost wrap this up until tomorrow and now I've got to bring you this absolute shame of what's happening right now. And I don't even know what to do because Anthony Blinken, this idiot, is supposed to speak in a matter of moments. Do I do I wait or do I do I just publish this, knowing that it could be hours and this man's lies could go on all night? I don't even know at this point what is the best course of strategy, to be honest with you. All right, well, I don't think uh, the State Department's going to come out anytime soon. So let me just wrap this up by General McKenzie announcing the end of the U.S. war in Afghanistan. We just left behind 250 Americans. Pathetic. I'm here to announce the completion of our withdrawal from Afghanistan and the end of the military mission to evacuate American citizens, third country nationals, and vulnerable Afghans. The last C-17 lifted off from Hamad Karzai International Airport on August 30th this afternoon at 3.29 p.m. East Coast time. And the last manned aircraft is now clearing the airspace above Afghanistan. We will soon release a photo of the last C-17 departing Afghanistan with Major General Chris Donahue and the U.S. Ambassador to Afghanistan, Ross Wilson, aboard. While the military evacuation is complete, the diplomatic mission to ensure additional U.S. citizens and eligible Afghans who want to leave continues. And I know that you have heard, and I know that you're going to hear more about that from the State Department shortly. Pathetic. This is uh, this is now uh, the general central commander saying the number of Americans left behind in the low hundreds. Did not have a lot of time for reflection. I'm sure I will do that in the future. But right now, I'm pretty much consumed with the with the operational task at hand. That's a good question, and I and I am going to be thinking about that in the days ahead. Your message to Americans and Afghan allies who were left behind. So the military phase of this operation has ended. The diplomatic sequel to that will now begin. And I believe our Department of State is going to work very hard 
to allow any American citizens that are left, and we think the citizens that were not brought out number in the low, very low hundreds. It should be uh, zero. I believe that we're going to work. We're- should be zero. It should be zero. This is pathetic. All right, uh, I, I gotta. I'm, I'm going to run because uh, obviously now last U.S. warplanes leave uh, after America ends its war in Afghanistan. Have a lot more to say for you tomorrow morning on the show. Clearly, this is um, something that nobody ever imagined that we'd be leaving behind our citizens like this. A terrible day. This is an awful day. This is pathetic. We just gave them 250 bargaining chips. We just gave them a list of everybody left behind, too. What a disgrace. What a disgrace. I can't believe I started this podcast today thinking tomorrow was the end. And it ended in the middle of the podcast. Just goes to show you how this administration can... You just can't predict their level of absolute incompetence and betrayal of this country. Have a great night.